Welcome, everyone, to the Faith Recovery Podcast. We have been uh, telling our own deconstruction stories over the last several weeks so that you can get to know us and where we're coming from and also to introduce some topics that we want to discuss that we think matter to other people as well. Yeah, and so far I've talked about my messed up background and then Alex has talked about his even more messed up background and then... (laughs) Kent's been sitting there quietly judging all of us. So, Kent, it's your turn. My turn. Just go ahead and bear your soul. (laughs) Well, I told the story about how, uh, I guess a brief version of it, how I was a pastor, but I was a hypocrite. I finally came to terms with that and realized that I, at least in my case, needed to walk away from professional ministry in order to work on myself, my own character, my own marriage and family. And then what I haven't really done is explain some of the ways that my faith or worldview or walk with God has been deconstructed in the past 10 years. And as I thought about that, I began to see it in terms of themes rather than events. So I will, we'll just dive in. And I don't know if we'll get through all these, but these are the themes. I'll give a little preview. From looking good to becoming good. From behavior modification to heart change. From secrecy and shame to transparency and acceptance. From self-protection and isolation to vulnerability and true intimacy from theological certainty on many things to theological openness on many and certainty on a few, from Bible as proof text to story, from prescriptive to descriptive, and it just goes on from there. I've got a few more, so I wanted just to give a quick overview. Let's go back to this one. This one's maybe these first few are the more personal side of things, from looking good to becoming good. Um, I used to be focused on seeming good to others, not so much on becoming good in actual character. And I see much more clearly now that God is aiming at true inner goodness and that that's the righteousness beyond the scribes and Pharisees that Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. And I think that's a process of becoming aware of my sin and repenting from looking good to becoming good. Um, I think I knew in the past that Christ and the gospel aim to make us truly good, but in actuality, I was focused on looking good. And now I'm uh, much more aware of that. Yeah. Well, it's, it's more important to look good than to feel good. <laughs> Give us some examples yeah, what does that look like? Kind of tell us about just a what pastor, a yeah, know. what a crappy hypocrite you were. Come on, we want we want some juice. <laughs> Come on, just give us some dirt. Feel free to embellish on your crabbiness. Oh, I mean, we would uh, be asked to do premarital counseling with other couples, and Kristen would, <laughs> I would say things to these couples that I was not practicing, that I had never practiced, but I just knew as it, good information. 
and she would sort of look at me and just with uh, just terror uh, with horror <laughs> uh, and I, I, eventually she came to the point where she could just sort of call me out on it you don't do that um, and uh, I was cr you know eventually crumbling in my personal character and in my marriage and uh, yet standing up in front of the church on Sundays preaching and uh, preaching some some uh, good sermons and certainly theological truths. Um, and even to this day, sometimes people will uh, run into me or remember those days with me and say that it really helped them and that it was powerful. Um, and, you know, what, and I cared about truth. Uh, maybe uh, I cared about it. Uh, on an intellectual level, but I could not bring it down to a personal level, and uh, and I was wrapped up in my my identity was wrapped up in being that preacher, that person uh, that others respected, and they respected as a person who taught the truth. Um, and so that was maybe why I cared about it is because that was um, how I got admiration from people yeah. so uh, just why didn't you get your poop in a group then i mean you know i mean if, <laughs> uh, honestly I mean, you know the right answers I, i'm sure none of this advice you were giving to other people you thought well this is this is undoable um so it was doable uh it sounds like you believe that it was true why didn't you just do it rather than blow up your life hmm. because of What's it? You said you were going to preach on this Sunday, Hamartiology, yeah. <laughs> the doctrine of sin, I think. Um, I think it has to do with the nature of sin uh, and the idolatry. I was worshiping self. I was worshiping an image of myself. I was worshiping man and what uh, man thought of me, and I was not um, aware of it. And I was not prepared to repent and walk away from it. Yeah, um, and and that's something that resonates. I, I think it's a common thread, probably, with all of our stories that we can relate on this point, because we've all been involved in church and ministry at a level where it was a big part of our personal identity that we were uh, that we were ministers or that we're involved in in church work. You know, and so, when, you know, I, I, I know from our stories, each one of us kind of got to this point where, you know, we, it was an identity crisis <laughs> of sorts. And so I'm curious, what, what did that point kind of look like for you? Was there a specific, uh, you know, event or something that happened in yeah. your life where you just kind of came to a point and you're like, I, I can't do both of these things at the same time. It's, it's going it's causing me to have a split identity or identity yeah. crisis. Kristen um, was Kristen had been praying for me for a long time. She had finally come to see who I really was. I had her fooled for a long time, and then after a certain point, she realized my husband is is very unhealthy, spiritually, emotionally unhealthy, and he's trying to maintain this image and this profession, uh, but he's not okay. She was praying for me for a long time. We took a family vacation. I was reading Dallas Willard's book, The Divine Conspiracy. 
Why was I reading The Divine Conspiracy? Because I'm an intellectual Christian, because I'm interested in theology, because I'm interested in spiritual formation. I was reading it, um, I think, because you know of my profession and my identity as a theologian and as a pastor. But actually, it started to get through to me personally, and he's writing in there about the righteousness beyond the scribes and Pharisees. The divine conspiracy is God's work to bring about an, a spiritual renovation of the hearts of people. So gospel-induced life change is not behavior modification. It is rather inward change that produces outward change. The heart is the source of behavior. It's who we really are. And Jesus understood that. And so his gospel reaches to the source. Okay. That's, so. a, that's something that maybe I would have even said as a preacher. Uh, but I wasn't taking it to heart. I wasn't practicing it. And I am now sort of seeing everything through that lens. Okay, so. So that's but, a deconstruction for me. Yeah. Because I see things that way now. So practically speaking, you know, it's change in, I don't know, you, you said you would, have, you would have said the same thing a while back, so how can any of us really know what you mean it right now? <laughs> I guess you have to ask my wife. <laughs> yeah, good, good answer. <laughs> From secrecy and shame to transparency and acceptance. So once I began to see how deep my evil went, a lot of shame entered my mind. And my heart so part of my journey has been out of shame and shame leads to secrecy I had shame before I repented uh, and uh, but also I had shame after I repented because I had come to see just how bad off I was and how much I was hurting people and I, I struggled a lot with shame for a number of years I think I still do but I see that I'm coming out of shame I recently heard this great line that sums up what I've been learning the line is this it's far more important that things not remain hidden than it is that things get fixed. So there's this virtuous cycle that the gospel brings into our lives. Number one, the more we really believe the gospel of God's acceptance in Christ, the more we step into the light of honesty and transparency through confession and vulnerability. Yes. And the more we then take those steps, the more we experience grace. And that causes us to believe the gospel more fully. And that experience enables us to keep on taking those steps of honesty and confession and transparency and vulnerability. And over time, healing and transformation occur through that virtuous cycle. Yeah. So um, did that happen, you know, in, in your personal experience, did that, that happen uh, primarily before or after you made the decision to step away from the ministry? Because I'm kind of curious. I, I feel like we have some common experiences here where our involvement in ministry also kind of confined us uh, to a certain extent, you know, to, to live within certain boundaries that we thought we had to, right. we had to stay inside. And that, you know, forced us to not... <laughs> not be honest about a lot of things that were actually going on inside of us. Right. No, the, uh, the first step at confession, vulnerability, uh, was at the point that I left the ministry, where I came to realize I'm a mess. I've got to go get healthy. I've got to start confessing who I really am. And that was at the same time that I was 
quitting my profession as a pastor. And so I began at that time the journey that I'm describing here of learning to walk in transparency and honesty and vulnerability and confession. And I'm still learning it. So I would say I've just been learning it slowly over the last 10 years. So, yeah. So how does that look different in just your personal life um, now to, compared to when, uh, before when you were still in ministry and you felt like, you know, um, you had to uh, behave or uh, be a certain way as a pastor? Um. Well, I know what I felt like I had to have the answers for people, and I had to represent, present myself as someone who was at least making progress in these things, um, and who was practicing these things. And so I would talk about them as though I did them, when in fact I really didn't do them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I, I can relate to that as well, just that there's this... Uh, pressure and expectation to be the one that has the answers, the one that, you know, has it all together and seems successful or else the whole, you know, thing will fall apart for everyone. And that, that's, uh, that's, you know, it's tough. That's not, I don't think ultimately that's, you know, what God has intended for us. So. Yeah, I mean, um, as somebody that's still in ministry and still struggling to some degree with this, you know, having been through various different modes and phases of life, I, I can certainly understand. I, I think that when we talk about deconstruction, a lot of the people who are going through that are, uh, you know, what I've heard is is that, that people, uh, you know, as, as we begin to, to critique the Christian faith, the Christian system, and, and, and I think a lot of those critiques are legitimate, we begin to um, wonder whether it's possible for any sort of religious faith to ever make somebody a moral person. I mean, you know, we, we talked about how you, you knew the right thing to do and that those right things were not especially difficult to add, you know, just put it on a to-do list or something, you know, or, or whatever, but you weren't doing it. And, and that there is, there's, there's something about being incentivized to, to put on a, you know, a moral face that causes us to neglect who we are, what we are within. Mm-hmm. And, and would, does that seem like a fair assessment? And that, 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 that tendency to, to put on a, a, a positive exterior, has a corollary, you know, negative, a, a corruption or a deterioration of the inner person, that it seems that those always go together. Uh, Jesus said it that, you know, you have these whitewashed walls, these sepulchers where dead people's bones were. And, you know, he told the Pharisees that you, you're those whitewashed walls and within you is this rot. Um, and it seems to me that anytime there's a whitewashed wall that you can find rot behind it, no matter where you find it. Um, but for somebody that's deconstructing religion in general or the Christian faith, uh, wouldn't it be easy and, and understandable for them to say, isn't all Christianity a whitewashed wall? 
uh, isn't there a degree to which when we gather in a church, there is a behavioral norm. And because of that, all of us are trying to at least project that behavioral norm to uh, varying degrees. And if that's the case, all of us are suffering from this interior rot behind that that hypocrisy. Is that Does that seem fair? I mean, if you're criticizing Christianity or religion in general and you say, behaving at a certain, you know, God wants you to to behave at a certain level and to be in a community that holds you accountable to behave at a certain level. Won't that always cause people to project a false persona, at least to some degree? Yeah, I guess um, that's an interesting question because it kind of assumes that there is a standard for conformity within Christianity, right? Um, so, but I think one of the things that, you know, is triggering a lot of people to, um, seriously, you know, examine Christianity as, as a religion and to examine their, their own experiences within the church is, um, this blatant dichotomy (laughs) between how we have a Christianity in many cases that doesn't look anything like Christ. So how is that possible, right? We have a a church or a group of Christians within a society that um, are, are conforming, actively conforming, and encouraging each other to conform to a standard that um, actually doesn't look anything like uh, the one that the religion's all about. Okay. <laughs> how is that possible? And so... Um, you know, what are we conforming to? I, I think would be my first question. Are we conforming to each other? Um, what we, you know, just this kind of passive, uh, you know, I, I come to a group of people and uh, I see them acting and behaving a certain way and I'll just start doing that. You know, are, are we, we have a different standard altogether that we are, um, you know, trying to trying to actually be, be part of. And that's a question of which standard is the right standard. And, and I think, but I think Nathan's question is um, the the notion of if I'm it, let's just say that you've got the right standard, and the right standard is Jesus and how he is who and how he treats others and how he calls us to treat others. And if we're uh, and if we experience Christianity as pressure to be like Jesus and treat others like Jesus, so we put on a face put on an act uh, and it looks very much like Jesus and the way Jesus wants us to treat one another but it's not addressing our heart and the corruption within and so I think the his question Nathan's question is what's wrong with the gospel that we're preaching that we're calling people to conform to a standard even the best standard versus a message that actually reaches the heart, changes the heart, and produces that change from within. Is sure. that right, Nathan? Yeah, but I'm, does that ever happen if we're in a community that has, you know, a dogmatic behavioral expectation? I, you know, I think a lot of people uh, coming out stories with LGBTQ. There's this. There's a sense that I, I think that Christianity, the church, and all of that has incentivized 
people to project a, a false identity. You know, the, the, the whole idea of identity gets brought up in the discussions of the LGBTQ community. And um, someone may make the case that maybe it's better to just not have religion because it puts this, this a priori expectation on who's in, who's out, what's right, what's wrong, and that that causes people to then suppress their private life, their heart, or to maybe, you know, declare those secret desires as wrong if they do talk about them publicly. You know, I, I just think a lot of the people who right now are, are deconstructing faith are, are asking, you know, how do we, how do I become an authentic person? And it seems that Christianity is not helpful in that enterprise, at least as people have experienced it, especially since Christian leaders are under greater pressure and greater incentive to be artificial. You know, how, how can they lead us to authenticity when, you know, the pastor's going to be fired if he admits he has a, a secret porn addiction or that he's attracted to men? Um, how can that guy then lead people to become authentic um, in their expression and in what they are. Um, you know, when we talk about a high standard and conforming to that, I think about Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5, and here's this couple that sells property and gives 90% of it to the church. You know, I think most Christian leaders would be like, sweet, you know, promote them to deacon, not you know, curse them to die on the spot. It, it, it seems to be a harsh response to somebody who gave 90% of what they had. I mean, we're just trying to get people to give 10%. So um, that there's something, I think, to learn from that story and that, you know, it's kind of an off-putting story and I, and I really, I wouldn't have included it and yet it seems important enough that Luke did. And I, and I think about, you know, how Christians were just, were just known as hypocrites and, um, and you generally don't develop a stereotype from nothing, you know? Um, and, and I think it's fair for us to own that. So, I mean, how, how can someone be, I, I guess I was going to ask, how can someone be a Christian and not be a hypocrite? But that's not fair. That's no, not fair. No. That's not a fair question. Just because um, Christianity better be able to make people not be hypocrites, that, that there ought to be a reason to be a Christian that would ensure authenticity and not just allow for it. Because a, a lot of belief systems would allow for authenticity, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. A hypocrite is someone who is pretending to be something that they're not. And this is, some, this is like a common uh, misunderstanding of hypocrisy, and, and, and it's common in Christian circles for, uh, for Christians to say, we're all hypocrites. And what they really mean is we're all imperfect. We all fail to live up to the standards we profess. And Christianity makes room for that, for failing to live up mm -hmm. to the standards we profess. Well, and, but it and, doesn't make room for hypocrisy. Yeah, hypocrisy is not unique to Christianity or even religion. Mm -hmm. We find hypocrisy across the board <laughs> as part of the human condition. So... Um, but yeah, um, Alex is asking a hard question. 
I mean, Nathan is asking a hard yeah, question, Alex. Um, yeah, I, I mean, when, when people leave the Christian faith, they often describe a sense of relief or freedom. Why is that? And how can we help people? Uh, you know, and I, it, it's just that if, if Christianity, if, if it's from God and it doesn't give people the resources to be more personally healthy than if they had not been a Christian, you know, if we, if we ask, well, why is Christianity not as bad in terms of making people hypocrites or not any worse, let's say, than a secular mindset? I don't think that's good enough. If mm-hmm. we're saying no, you should you should reject other belief systems and adopt this one. We better be able to say why it's superior in terms of authenticity is what. Right, and I'm going to say that I think the answer to your question is, is is somewhere in my story that I've recounted here that the the, the problem with that that. Uh, that rejection of Christianity that you described is that they have experienced Christianity as pressure to be good, not as a delivering power, a rescuing power, yeah. uh, a, deli- a deliverance and a transformation. Or you, in, in, just to say it a different way, because I heard you use these words, um, you know, you are in search of being able to have, be your authentic self. And I think that's what a lot of people are looking for. So, you know, how can Christianity uh, help people become more authentically themselves um, and, and not less? You, you know, if the, if, the, if the system is causing people to, you know, ca- causing us to be pressured to conform more to something that is not who we truly are, then there seems to be an inherent problem there. But if it's leading us to become more authentically ourselves, then I think people recognize that there is a genuine uh, benefit, you know, to what, what's happening there. And that's kind of inherent in all of our stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought it was fascinating. In, in Luke 12, 1, uh, Jesus, in Luke 11, he's, he's just coming off of blasting the Pharisees, declaring seven woes on them at a feast, you know. He wasn't a great party guest. Um, you know, he's, he's invited to this guy's house, and somebody tries to pander to him and say, it's, says, man, won't it be great when we're all eating around the great, you know, the table of the Messiah? And then Jesus just starts to blow these people up you know he's like well you're never going to eat around the table of the messiah so long as you invite all the rich people and your best friends to eat with you because the table of the messiah is open to the poor and the disenfranchised and it is a table of justice and all this but then he goes outside he's just blasted the pharisees and it says uh, in luke 12 1 it says meanwhile when a crowd of many thousands gathered and you talk about, you know, this pressure uh, to perform for the eyes of those who are watching. And I think everybody has that to some degree. And so here's Jesus. He goes out and there are thousands of people. And it says so that they were trampling on one another. Um, and, and, and I think that if any of us had ever had that level of popularity or success, we'd, you know, I'm, I'm in ministry, uh, but you guys still would be or whatever, you know, I mean, it's very, it's hard, it's easier to leave 
you know, maybe if the ministry is painful and it's a struggle, but if you have people who are actually trampling on one another to get to you, it's probably harder to walk away. And Jesus turns to his disciples because they're, you know, they're identified with him. They're associated with him. Um, and I think that they are under the same temptation to perform. And he says, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And um, the, the translation here says, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples saying, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. The Greek there is a little bit um, ambiguous. It, he could be saying, and I think he is saying, first of all, be on your guard or of first importance. And it, it seems that Jesus is like, you know, the number one priority is to be authentic. And how ironic that the church comes to be known as hypocritical when Jesus' command is to be authentic. Um, you know, but how do you do that? I, I mean, the realities of church is, is that you are, you're in community with a group of people who have an assumed moral standard. How do you... How do you become an authentic person? Well, it could be that if you experience the gospel as grace and acceptance, then you can, and you internalize that, and you then are relaxed. And you can go to that group that has an implied moral standard and not succumb to the pressure to perform but admit that you don't live up to that standard. So if you enter the Christian faith and enter the church with that understanding of grace and acceptance as the foundation, I'm accepted as I am. As I said the other night, uh, God, and you have internalized the message, God loves and accepts me as I am. He just loves me too, too much to leave me as I am. But... So which so so there's going to be growth required, yeah, and rising to the standard required, but it's from the basis of acceptance. If if we can have that as the basis of our community, then we can have a moral standard that isn't overwhelming to us. Yeah, I, I, and I'm going to ask a question because I know this is where um, you know a lot of people's thoughts are. Um, if I come to a place of accepting, you know, the grace uh, for myself, but the group that I'm in is still applying external pressure to me to conform to something that I feel is inauthentic, then what do you do? Yeah, because I think this is this is the the dilemma that many um, many believers and Christians find themselves in right now. Maybe they, they find themselves uh, being more free, more open to things that um, their particular group or their church uh, is not, is not open to. And they find themselves at a crossroads. You know, um, do I find myself going this way because I'm, I feel like this is the authenticity that my faith requires of me? 
or do I do I stay and conform to the, the standards that I feel that my group or my church is requiring of me? And so I, I think a lot of people stand at that crossroads and feel like they have to make a decision. I, I think maybe there's a third way. And, um, you know, I, the, I'm concerned over kind of the disposability of relationships. It seems that especially... Well, I'm not going to single out a group, but it seems that when people are at odds or at dis- in a disagreement with other people, that there's this um, permission, this implicit permission to just, you know, cut ties with somebody. And, and perhaps that's something that needs to happen um, occasionally. But I, at least in my understanding of the gospel and the Christian system is and the church is that we're a family and, and you don't get to pick your family and your family is a pain in the butt and they're going to make you suffer. Um, and, but that's a part of it. Um, and I think, I think the third option is this one where, it, you know, Jesus, Jesus didn't just say you have to take up your cross and follow me. Yeah, at least according to Luke, he says you have to take up your cross daily and follow me. It'd be good if we could just change our circumstance and then it would all be on autopilot. You know, maybe if I could just sell everything I own and move under a bridge, um, I will have taken up my cross and I can move on with life. But I, I think that following Christ seems to require a day-by-day choice to lay down my comfort or and my acceptance from other people it's it seems that if we're really going to live out the gospel that we probably are going to have to stay in whatever community that we're in and remain authentic so i mean and and that is going to mean a lot of pain it's going to mean that a lot of people would just wish we would leave you know and it, and it's not so much to an advance an agenda or can you know or make somebody else agree with us but to say look you say you believe in Jesus. I don't have any other thing to go on. All I have is what you say you believe. And that means you're my brother. And how can I leave you? And you can hate me if you want. Uh, it, that's not my problem or my choice. I'm going to love you and I'm going to make your life hell. <laughs> you know, I mean, and not necessarily, but, you know, I mean, I do think that that pain and that disagreement and those, that speaking the truth in love is, is sometimes painful. Um, it's painful for the one that has to speak the truth, and it's painful for the one that has to hear the truth, and it's painful when the truth is not the truth we thought it was, and we have to go back and say, I tried to speak the truth in love, but what I really spoke was falsehood. It was still in love. I hope you can forgive me. You know, I mean, it, it seems like all of that is a part of it. Mm, I don't want to blow up the conversation, but go I, ahead. Have fun. <laughs> let's let's do this. I I almost feel that's a little naive, um, in the sense that um, I mean, because I, I I think what I hear you hear you saying is that if we're able to be our true authentic self. And to live in the freedom of grace and understanding who we are, we could um, somehow be with any group of people regardless of of how they may uh, view us or pressure us. Um, That sounds good in theory, uh, but I I feel like the reality is much harsher to the point that I, I can look at my own experience in ministry 
and I was very much of a mind that um, I can I can remain open and work with these people uh, re regardless of uh, their own behavior and actions towards me. And that wasn't the case. It very much reached a point where um, we were fully ejected from the community by force. Well, sure, if they actually throw you out. I, I think that Jesus remained in the Jewish society. You know, while he's blasting the Pharisees, he's still going to dinner with them. You know, he just got fewer invitations, yeah, and eventually they, they, they crucified they him. They crucified him. Right, but that's what <laughs> Jesus is saying, that, that if you choose this path, you are on the road to crucifixion. That, that you were forcibly ejected from that group wasn't an aberration. It is the normal outcome of taking up your cross. Yeah, and I think the, the second part of that is to, is to not minimize the fact that there are toxic communities out there that you, you, uh, people need to uh, s step away from. Um, I, I know abusive Christian communities or churches that I would not, honestly would not expect anybody to remain in community with in the, in the sense that they should somehow continue to try to uh, be a part of that community because it, it's, it's uh, completely unhealthy. And so I, I, I want to be aware of that because I think that is the reality for a lot of people. I've experienced that myself and want to recognize that there, there is a point where in order to be authentic, sometimes you do have to step away yeah, I mean, I, I think that they're, I, I think it's it's all self-correcting if we are truly speaking the truth in love. And I, I'm not saying this is easy. I mean, Jesus didn't say, pick up a five-gallon bucket and follow me. You know, I mean, he, he said, take up a cross and follow me. Uh, you know, that, that this is going to feel like dying, um, as it should, and that we should reach the end of ourselves, and that at the other side of our capacity is the power of the resurrection. I mean, I have to believe that if I'm going to claim to believe the gospel. I have to believe that in a practical way. Um, at the same time, I, I think that if we are in a community that is controlling and domineering and toxic, those communities don't tolerate dissenters. So it's not like you have to be the one to decide to leave, as in your case, Alex, and in my case in multiple occasions. Um, that group will just invite you to please not come back. Um, and and I, I see that as my permission from the Lord to move on and to do something else. But I, I, I wouldn't want to give people just kind of carte blanche, like if you feel this is toxic, you can go. Because number one, a lot of people are, are wimps, you know? I mean, we, we want to spare ourselves the pain, but God would make us go through it oftentimes. Um, but also because to love our brother is going to be painful and and if you know we leave if it's painful or if that pain pain is protracted we may miss something on the other side of it or we may you know be derelict in our duty to love our brother so i just want to be careful that we don't fall off on the other side if if we're truly set free in christ and we and you know someone's trying to pressure us to conform in some way and we just keep saying with a cheerful face Actually, I'm not going to do that sooner or later that, you know, that that group is just not going to have a place for us or they're going to be able to maybe evaluate their approach. That's a lot less likely, but yeah. Yeah. 
I, I hear you. I, you know, I think there's probably an, an ideal um, that we can all attain to. Um, I guess I would, I'm speaking from a personal experience and experience of many others that I know that, um, especially in an abusive or toxic culture, it almost becomes like an abusive relationship in a, in a marriage. There's a point where, <laughs> where, you know, my counsel for anyone would be, um, yeah, if you can remain in, in, uh, in this relationship and keep working at it, that's great. But, um, you also have to protect yourself from things that are not right, you know, uh, from any standards. So, you know, that's my point. Sounds good. We, um, we touched on, I think, a theme of authenticity versus hypocrisy today. I think keying off of that part of my story, we entered into a, a discussion about authenticity versus, versus hypocrisy. And Nathan, you made the point that that was actually one of Jesus's touch points uh, mm-hmm. in his message. And I think that's definitely something we're going to pick back up again in the podcast. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today. Can I, can I just give us one caveat? Yep. And, and and that is that if you, if you are a person who's deconstructing and you're wondering if the faith is true, I, I just want you to notice that that these dynamics of, of, of doing wrong when you want to do right, they really do point to the idea that there is something out there besides just humans and our choices, that there's, there are forces and principles at work within human society that are at least not entirely physical, uh, that they are of, a, of another realm or of at least a, a different perceptual field. And I just want to drop a peg there. It, you know, if you're trying to weigh whether, whether Christianity is true or not, I would ask you to ask whether you're that whether the alternative belief system you might be considering can account for dynamics like a preacher who knows what's right, who has everything on the line to do what's right, but finds himself not able or not, you know, not performing that and, and find in your own life, do you have places where you know you should do something different and you continually don't? What's going on there? Is that just purely nature or is there something else that I think Christianity uniquely addresses and proposes to solve? So I just wanted to drop that peg before Thank we you. closed. Thank you. That's a whole other podcast. Yep. See you next time.